Welcome to a special presentation of Nebraska Farmcast, a podcast with essential information for essential decisions from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The Nebraska Extension Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics is dedicated to providing timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications for Nebraska agricultural decision makers. Each week, our team brings you essential information for your essential decisions in live webinars covering a diverse array of farm and ranch management topics presented by experts from the university, from across the state, and from around the country. This series of podcasts offers audio from these webinars so you can learn on the go. To find a complete archive of all webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more resources, visit the Farm and Ranch Management website at farm.unl.edu. Well, welcome everybody to today's webinar. I'm Jessica Grosskopf, a Nebraska Extension Educator, Panhandle Regional Economist, and the Director of the Nebraska Women in Agriculture Program. Today is a part of a weekly series of webinars produced by Nebraska Extension's Farm and Ranch Management Team in the Department of Agricultural Economics. Find a complete schedule and past recordings at farm.unl.edu. The Rural Response Hotline remains a great resource for ag professionals across the state providing mental health counseling, information regarding legal assistance, financial clinics, mediation, and more. The, hotline to the hotline's toll-free number is 1-800-464-0258. We also have a wealth of resources related to stress and wellness at ruralwellness.unl.edu. Today is also the fourth in a series of webinars co-sponsored by the Nebraska Women in Agriculture Program aimed at assisting farmers and ranchers to better understand their financial positions. These panel discussions are held on the second Thursday of every month through May and offer education on things like financial statements, financial re record keeping, ratios, cost of production, and more. Today's webinar focuses on the proposed changes to capital gains that many farmers, ranchers, and agribusiness professionals are wondering about and how they might affect succession and transition planning for the operation. Today, joining me for our discussion on these proposals and their potential impacts are Katie Samples-Dean, an attorney specializing in agricultural law. Her practice, Samples-Dean Law, is out of Bridgeport, Nebraska. We also have joining us today, Paul Niefer, a certified public accountant specializing in income taxation, accounting services, and succession planning for farmers and agribusiness processors. He is a principal at Clifton Larson Allen based out of Washington State. Thank you for joining us, Katie and Paul. You're so welcome. We're, yeah, we're gonna hop right into the questions. And again, this is a panel discussion. So what's going to happen is we have a couple of questions um, that we're going to start our discussion off with, but then we are going to turn to the chat box. So if you have questions for Katie and Paul, please make sure that you enter them in either the chat feature to the panelists or in the question and answer feature, which are both located at the bottom of your screen. So we're going to start off with Paul. Paul, can you tell us right now, how are capital gains currently handled? Yeah, and, and, and farmers have an interesting 
uh, perspective on capital gains, especially when we're dealing with livestock operators, ranchers, and so on, because they have some special capital gains treatments that other uh, produce or other manufacturers would not have. So let's let's start at sort of a thirty thousand foot view and then drop down a little bit. Uh, right now, if you are in what we call the fifteen percent tax bracket, and for married couples, that's roughly if your taxable income is under eighty thousand dollars of taxable income, then that difference between 80,000 and your taxable income without the capital gains, that's actually taxed at a rate of zero. So the, a lot of your capital gains, if you're a lower income farmer, you potentially are not gonna owe any federal uh, tax. Now, state of Nebraska will be an additional tax. Now, once you start going above that 15% bracket, your tax rate is gonna be 15% all the way up to the start of what we call the, the 37, well, it's the old 39.6 bracket, which for again, for married couples is gonna be roughly in that $600,000 range. So the way to look at it for most of your capital gains, and that includes qualified dividends from mutual funds and from common stock, is you're gonna be zero up to about $80,000 of income, assuming you know, combined income. And then from about 80,000 up to about 600,000, you're gonna be taxed at 15%. And then above that, you're gonna be taxed at 20%. Now, there are a situation where you have non, let's say investment capital gains, you're selling stock. You, you bought Tesla a year ago for $200 or $100 a share. Now it's $600 a share and you sell Tesla. If you're above 200 or 250,000 of gross income, not taxable income, but gross income, you're going to have that extra 3.8% net investment income tax. So that's essentially how capital gains work. The tax rate on capital gains is always under current law, is always going to be lower than the tax rate in your bracket or wherever your income is at. So it's definitely a preferential tax treatment. And Paul, just to clarify, when you were saying tax of like the 80,000, you're talking um, adjusted gross income, right? No, actually on, on that part, that's actually on taxable income. So you subtract okay. off your standard deduction or your itemized deductions. I'll just give a quick example. Let's say you had $50,000 after the standard deduction, $50,000 of farm income, and then you had $50,000 of long-term capital gains. The first 50,000 of ordinary income would be taxed at 10 or 12% the excess up to about 80,000 would be taxed at zero. And then the amount above that would be taxed likely in this situation could be at 12% or it could be at 15%. Uh, and the one thing I forgot to mention, ranchers or hog producers that have breeding stock, they've raised that breeding stock. So they've, uh, you know, they might have a sow, they might have a boar that they've raised, they might have a bull, they might have a cow that they've raised. If that a uh, cow or bull is held for at least two years, or if that sow or boar is held for at least one year, that is what we call a 1230, a qualified 1231 gain. And that's also subject to the long-term capital gains tax rates, and it's not subject to self-employment tax. So that's another nice feature of uh, what we call 1231 gains, which then become capital gains. So I, I think I've pretty well, Jessica, I think we've covered mostly how it works. I, I am seeing some, uh, some things coming in via the chat. I don't know if we want to cover those now or if we want to 
uh, keep going. Uh, I, I can go either way. I have no problem with that. Yeah, so let's address the comment in the chat from um, one of our participants, and it says the state of Nebraska has a provision that the state ca tax cannot exceed the federal tax. Check the box, and the state will be equal to the federal. So if the so if there are zero federal dollars, Nebraska is also zero. Nice feature. Now, other states such as Iowa and perhaps Nebraska has the same. It's hard to know all fifty states. I mean, I'm pretty good on the federal laws, uh, but like in Iowa. If you end up selling farmland or farm assets you've held for at least 10 years and you materially participate in it, that is tax-free in the state of Iowa. Now, Nebraska uh, may have the same type, uh, same type of option. Uh, now, I, I do see another question. So corporations, let's talk about corporations. If you're an S corporation, that capital gain from selling, raised livestock and so on is gonna flow through to your individual return and that'll end up being tax-free. However, if you're a C corporation right now, it doesn't matter if it's capital gains, doesn't matter if it's ordinary income, it's all taxed at a flat 21% tax rate. So um, corpor C corporations, we're not really talking capital gains for C corporations because they're exactly the same. Just to touch on, we do not have that law in Nebraska that Iowa has, sorry guys. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, so let's move on to our next question, which is what are the proposed changes uh, to the capital gains? So Paul, you wanna take us What's off? being proposed, uh, sorry, I'm, yeah, yeah, as far, and I think you were asking what's being proposed, I just had a little bit of a feedback issue there. So we, we have several proposals that have been floating around. Uh, president Biden, when he was running for president, had mentioned that he would like to apply the top tax rate once, and we're not sure if it's total capital gains or your income, including capital gains, I think it's the latter, uh, goes over a million dollars. So at that point, you would be taxed on the excess. We believe it's on the excess. Capital gains would be taxed at 39.6% if in fact that becomes the new top rate. Now, will that affect many farmers? Perhaps not. I think in the normal course of business, it probably wouldn't affect very many farmers. It could affect some, but let's say you're getting close to retirement and you plan on selling, let's say you're gonna sell some of the land or you're gonna sell some assets that create capital gains and it's a large capital gain because that's typically when farmers face the largest amount of income taxes when they retire, then that 39.6% bracket could kick in. Now, what's probably even more important to understand is that we had the step back that came out last week and uh, something equity proposal. I'm, it's, it's, they're trying to uh, basically do wealth transfers, what they're talking about. In that situation, if you decide to gift or you're going to transfer assets upon your death to your kids, to your non-spouse, at that point, you're going to trigger a transfer tax. Now, that could be a capital gains tax on those items that, like farmland that would be subject to capital gains, or it'd be ordinary income. So you're transferring grain, you're transferring equipment over to your kids, you're gifting it. That gift, once you go over $100,000 cumulative, is going to be taxed as if you sold it. So um, that's something that Nebraska farmers and ranchers really need to understand that if this proposal goes through, it's going to rapidly change a lot of our succession planning that we've done for the last 10 or 15 or 20 years for, 
for our ranch and farm clients out there. I'm just going to so, add, or I'll and, let Paul go, go ahead, on. The other question I've been getting a lot in reference to capital gains is um, the proposal to get rid of the step up in basis because you okay. aren't taxed on the full, but just I'll let Paul explain that. He does much better, but I know that's a question I've been getting a lot. Yeah, and in, in, you know, the proposal, the it's for the 99.5% act that Senator Sanders, Bernie Sanders out of, uh, is he Vermont or New Hampshire? He's somewhere up in that area uh, proposed. And the step back, they talk about eliminating spaces, but they really are not eliminating step up in bases if we impose a capital gains tax. Under a capital gains tax, what happens is the person transferring either at death or during lifetime incurs the tax, but due to the fact that they incurred a tax, that actually provides a step up for the heirs. So that seems to be both the step back and uh, the, um, the other act that uh, Senator Sanders stepped up, but, but at a cost of having an immediate uh, taxation when you do the transfer. And that would be a big deal. So I think it's really important to note that a lot of the, these are proposals. And I think that's something that we really need to, to pay attention to is at this point, this is all speculation um, in terms of what will actually be passed for, um, for the future. So Let's let's take um, you know some of these examples and and Paul, what do you think the biggest change would mean for farm and ranch estate plans based on these proposals? Well, based on these proposals, most well, I shouldn't say most, a lot more farm and ranch uh, farmer uh, ranch clients of ours are going to be facing either estate or gift tax. I'm actually more worried about the gift tax, I think, than I am the estate tax, because under the proposals that they're talking about, both Biden and, and the Step Act wants to decouple income, I mean, excuse me, wants to decouple estate and gift tax. And what they mean by that is they'll allow you to have up to three and a half million dollars when you pass away that's not subject to estate tax. But during your lifetime, you can only transfer a million dollars. And then even if you transfer it during lifetime or transfer it at death, um, you're, you're going to have that immediate capital gains tax. So it, it sort of flips all of our planning. It flips it 180 degrees before we wanted assets to go through the estate because we got the step up. There was no capital gains tax, no transfer tax you know, at death. We wanted it to go through sort of an estate so we could get that step up. We could get uh, the heirs wouldn't owe any tax or they could start depreciating the assets all over again. Under all of these proposals, likely we don't want it to go through an estate. We probably want to try to do gifting quicker. We want to take advantage of some type of, of maybe take advantage of the annual exclusion. Now, Bernie Sanders' proposal says you can only gift those type assets $20,000, well, $30,000 total per year per person via you. Under current law, let's say I have 10 grandkids and 20 kids. Let's say I got 30 people that I wanna give $15,000 away to. I can give away that 450,000 
don't have to file a gift tax return, doesn't eat into my lifetime exclusion under Bernie's proposal. If you give away cash, you can still do that. But if you want to put something into trust for your kids or grandkids, or if you want to transfer closely held interest in your farm or your land, your limit's going to be essentially. Um, yeah, you know, I'll turn it over to Katie to, to jump in, add any color on that. I agree with a lot of that. And the problem when it comes to farm and ranch planning is we don't want to give it to 30 people. Usually we have one to two that we want to give it to. And so um, I don't want to say this, but if any of this comes to fruition, unfortunately, it is going to change what we do. Um, it just is. Um, some of that will be paying more tax. Um, some of it is putting it more into entities and being able to discount when we gift, which we haven't talked about, but that's what I've seen. We are starting to do out here. A lot of is putting it into some sort of entity so we can discount. And so that way you can transfer more. For those that you don't know, if it's a closely held corporation or LLC, you can discount the value anywhere from, I don't know, 25 to 50%, Paul would know a better, that's the range I've seen. And so we can gift more. Um, honestly, at this point, it's kind of, as Jessica said, it's all proposal. Yeah. Now, I'm glad you brought that up, Katie, because Bernie's proposal also says that you no longer can discount yeah, count. anything. That's what I'm actually worried about. When you transfer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think what that means is, like I say, I think we'll start transfer, even if there's an attacks being incurred, I think we may start transferring more during lifetime, you know, in that 15, 30,000. And we may do a sale. If, if you have a low tax rate and capital gains rates are going to be zero. And, and in Nebraska, it can be zero, it looks like because of their law, then transferring 20, 30, $40,000 per year to your kids via a sale or a gift might make a lot of sense because you are trying to tamp down, trying to tamp down that, that estate value. Um, but one thing, even if this gets passed, what we found out in estate taxes, nothing's permanent. You know, we, we may get a new administration in three years. Likely the house next year is going to flip over. Senate may or may not flip over, but we have to understand taxes are sticky. Once there's a proposal placed into effect that, that, raises taxes, it sometimes is very difficult to get that change. I mean, just go back to, you know, when President Trump came into office, we had a, a Republican-controlled Senate, Republican-controlled House, and a Republican in the presidency. They said, we're going to eliminate ACA, we're going to eliminate Obamacare. Never happened. So, you know, that's, that's my concern, is that we think, you know, that this might only be a one or two year or three year or four year but we could have something like this for 10 or 20 years. Remember, we've spent an extra five or five trillion, whatever the number is, we're gonna have to pay for it somehow. And just to do a little non-tax education for anybody, and if Paul disagrees, he can step in. We have a, a um, Democrat House and Senate, but with the filibuster rule that they just passed again in the Senate, they have to have 10 Senate Republicans agree in order to pass this law to be able to get it to Biden. So just keep that in mind. You do have to have 10 Republican senators in order for this to pass. So just, I keep telling all my clients to get deep breath. And I've seen a couple of questions about, does the proposal eliminate Unless they discounts? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And like, there's a variety. Keep yeah. in mind there are- Unless they use reconciliation. Different. Yes, which they just did and they can only use it once a year. So they can use budget reconciliation to pass on a straight majority once per calendar year, which they just did. So they could, if in 2022, use it again. So just so you guys know, um, and we've seen, I've seen a couple of things come through, just so you also know, if you haven't gathered this, there are multiple proposals coming through. There isn't one just like full one as far as I've seen. There's Bernie's, there's Biden's, there's, and they all have different suggestions. Yeah. Although so we did hear, we've heard, you know, the Senate, uh, whoever the Senate referee, I'm going to call it the Senate referee, just came out and said that they would allow the Senate to amend the reconciliation process that they just did this year. So, um, and again, I think this is based on a fiscal year, not a calendar year. So they could pass another one for the fiscal year beginning October 1 of 2021. That would contain estate and, and, and capital gains tax adjustments, I would think. I don't know if budget reconciliation, and this might be wrong, can be used for taxes, but I'll look that up. So just so you all know. Well, it, 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 it essentially is used where it affects the budget. And so taxes right. affect the budget. So there you go. Um, yeah. So I, I do see some questions here. So let me just address some of them. I, I, the proposed estate exemption, it is uh, three and a half million. Now they will increase section 2032 cap A for farmers, farmers only. And under that proposal, it would allow you to reduce your estate by a farm estate by up to $3 million. So effectively for farmers that really are in farm, you know, all of their assets are related to farming or most of their assets are related to farming. You would be able to have an estate of about six and a half million for dad, six and a half million for mom. So about 13 million and still not owe any estate tax. Now, if the step back goes through, that's true for estate tax, but over on the income tax side, due to the fact that only a million dollars is gonna be exempted, that means let's say you're worth $13 million as a married couple, you've transferred all your assets over to your kids, let's say at death, and let's say you get killed in a car wreck at the same time. So it's all going to the kids. Yes, you may not owe estate tax on $13 million of assets, but collectively you're gonna owe a capital gains and ordinary income transfer tax on 11 million. So don't think just because you, you might only be worth eight or 10 million um, as a couple that you're not gonna owe any type of tax when you pass away. That's the problem with the combination of the step back and the, you know, the estate law changes. If those go through, we now have to worry about both. We can't just worry about one versus the other, we do have to worry about both. And then if your, let's say your estate is over three and a half million, then your tax rate is 45%, not the current 40%. Then once you go over 10 million, it's at 50%. Once you go over 50 million, it's 55%. And then if you're lucky enough to be worth a billion, then it's 65%. Uh, and, and the interesting, thing is Bernie's proposal, I'm going to call it Bernie's proposal, uh, lists all the billionaires in the United States. And it goes through and says, under my proposal, here's how much extra estate tax these billionaires are going to owe. Well, Bernie's wrong. All these billionaires, because Bernie's proposal doesn't address this, all these billionaires, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, whoever it might be, Warren Buffett's in your state, they have set up charitable trusts 
then when they pass away, all of their assets are going into the charitable trust and it's completely estate tax-free. Whereas the farmer in Nebraska that, or rancher that wants to transfer $20 million of value to their kids, they face an estate, combined estate and income tax, a cost of maybe $5 million. So the reality is the farmer rancher in Nebraska is going to pay more tax than Warren Buffett will when he passes away. So, um, you know, until they address the ability for billionaires to set up charitable trusts, private foundations, charitable trusts, and so on, um, these proposals don't have any legs for the billionaires. They have legs for the ranchers and farmers in Nebraska, but they don't really have that much legs, in my opinion, for the billionaires. So. So okay. let's go back. Let's go back to the chat box here, okay. and and let's start with this one. Do you guys have any diagrams or slides of the current capital gains law and each of the proposals that are coming out, or do you know where um, participants can see exactly what those proposals are side by side? And if the answer is no, that's okay. <laughs> I don't. Um, I would say. I, I, I was going to say that uh, for those that are interested, they could certainly go to our blog. It's farmcpatoday.com. So farmcpatoday.com. Very easy to sign up for it. I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a chart on there. I probably will put it on once we see maybe a couple more proposals. Uh, but it does go through all the details as far as the step back, the 99.5% act, and so on. Matter of fact, I just did another post this morning on how you know, people have said that Bernie's proposal drops the gift uh, annual gift exclusion down to 10000 and you can only do $20,000 in gifts. Well, the answer is no, you can do 15000 still. It's just when you start doing transfers of appreciated assets into a trust or, you know, farm assets in, in as far as closely held businesses over two years, then the limit is 30000 So you do have to read through the proposals. Um, you know, sometimes when they tout certain things, you actually have to read what their law actually is saying. And, and, and you find out, well, you know, their headline was X, the reality is Y. So that's, uh, so I would certainly suggest going over to the blog. So the next question from the chat is that you have referenced children and grandchildren. Can you explain what happens if there are no children, um, but rather somebody wants to pass on assets to a niece or a nephew? So Katie, do you want to take that one first? Maybe talk under some of the current laws um, and, and then maybe have Paul go on maybe some of the proposals. Sure. And I'll let Paul, I'll talk a little bit more specifically about Nebraska and let Paul go um, federal. So it doesn't, in Nebraska, the issue that we haven't talked about is we have a state inheritance tax and um, there is absolutely no way around it. Um, trusts don't get you around it. <clears throat> Corporations don't get you around it. LLCs, it's, it is what it is. Um, it funds our county budgets. And so what it is, is if you pass to spouse, it's free. If you pass to tier one, it is taxed at 1% over $40,000. If you pass to tier two, it is, oh, 12 or 13% over 10,000. Sorry, I'm getting my numbers mixed up because there's a proposal in our state legislature to change this and up the, the limits. And then the third is if you're not related at all. 
Um, and that's taxed at 18% over $10,000, just so you all know. So in passing to nieces and nephews, you fall into tier two. And so just know it can be a large, we have seen a lot of farm ground go to nieces and nephews without any cash to support it. We have to sell to be able to pay the inheritance tax. When it comes to an inheritance tax is based on who it goes to, estate tax is just based on the estate itself. Um, the person who died, the inheritance is who gets it. And so that's a little bit different. And so as far as I'm aware, second tier is $15,000 exempt and taxed at 14%. Thank you, Alan. Um, and so as far as I am aware, federal, it's, there is nothing like that. And so it's, it's grandchildren provide a little bit extra sometimes, but I'll let Paul cover the rest. Yeah, no, I, you know, that's, uh, um, you know, whether at the federal level, whether it's a, a, a sibling, a niece, a nephew, a, a, a child, a grandchild, well, a grandchild, you have to worry about generation skipping tax. Um, it really doesn't matter. The only one that matters, are you giving assets to your spouse? If you're giving assets to the spouse, then that's an unlimited exemption. And they haven't eliminated that in any of these proposals. Uh, if you're giving assets to any non-spouse, unless it's a charity, then, then you're going to essentially pay a state tax on that at the federal level if, in fact, you're over the exemption levels. And then also, if we do have this transfer tax uh, you know, at death, um, that tax that's calculated, A, it reduces the estate tax, so it's a deduction against the state tax. And then if it's related to what we call non-liquid assets, it isn't cash. It isn't uh, Google stock or whatever it might be, but it's your farmland, it's your ranch land, it's your farm assets, the ranch assets. The, the IRS is gonna allow you to pay that tax over a 15 year period. And it's at a very low interest rate. Now, the problem with that, it sounds great. Hey, well, we get to pay it over a 15 year period, but there's a formal lien that gets filed on that property and if you ever want to refinance that property, likely your lender is going to require you to pay off that lien. So that, that's something to be aware of is that you do have to deal with the actual formal, formal lien against that property. So again, if it goes to a spouse, tax-free, if it goes to anybody else and you're over that exemption limit, then yes, you will owe a tax on that. And to just elaborate a little, because I didn't do the best job at the beginning. Yeah, so second tier is $15,000 exemption per person, tax at 14%. It's due one year after the date of death. So there are a lot of times in Nebraska, we are scrambling to get evaluation done to even temporarily, tentatively pay the inheritance tax. And if you do not pay it timely, it is taxed at a large percentage interest. So that's your niece and nephew issue here in the state. So just to follow up on that, and I think you kind of addressed it in the last answer, do transfer tax and estate tax, and I'm going to add in inheritance tax, do they uh, run concurrently or do they have different triggers? And so if you want to just clarify that answer um, for the question in the question box for me. Okay. So if these proposals go through, and that's the answer, I mean, it, this only applies as the proposal goes through, the transfer tax is triggered once your appreciated assets at death exceeds a million dollars. So let's, let's pretend like that we have a farmer and let's, let's say they're single 
and and they have six and a half million dollars of of farmland and the farmer paid a million dollars for it 50 years ago so we got a five and a half million dollar gain now under the uh, under all these proposals you know if bernie's goes through and the step back goes through estate tax he likely would not owe any estate tax he's got the three and a half million dollar exemption He's got the extra $3 million of 2032 cap A that he can use. However, the transfer tax, he's got $5 million of appreciation. He's allowed to have a million dollars of appreciation on those type of assets. So we're gonna take $5 million, likely 4 million of it's gonna be taxed at 39.6% if the proposals go through, plus the state of Nebraska tax. So you're looking at 50% on $5 million. Again, they're, they're, they're sort of tied together, but they don't use the same exemptions. They don't have the same rates. One is a transfer tax based on income tax rates. Another one is an estate tax based on estate tax rates and estate tax rules. Um, so if all these proposals go through and you're, and you're worth five to $10 million at death and you have a lot of appreciation, you're either going to owe a state tax, or you're going to own a transfer tax, or you're going to owe both under all of these proposals. So I have two now, questions. Now, I did see one comment on there. It says, you know, it did say, well, I was going to chime in. It says many billionaires are not intending to set up charitable trusts for, for dealing with this. If this really goes through, I'm going to guarantee almost every billionaire is going to set these up, and most billionaires have them already. So... If, if you think they don't, they do. So just, just uh, sort of an ad lib on that one. So I have two questions that are, are, are fairly similar. And uh, one says, what is the probability? And the other one says, what is the likelihood um, of these uh, capital gains tax changes being passed this year and being eff made effective for the 2021 taxes? So uh, gut check, how fast and what is the likelihood of these actually happening? So I'm gonna go with Katie first, if you wanna respond and then we'll go to Paul. Sure, as far as I know, even if they pass this year, they don't apply this year. We, they would apply for the next year. Tax laws don't, we're not that quick. Um, and likelihood, um, I'm just gonna give my honest opinion. I don't think it's very likely that all of this will pass. They're not going to get all of this into one. They are likely going to get pieces of it or somewhere in the middle. I will do, tell you they do what attorneys do. They start with throwing this much in so that they can get meat in the middle so that it looks better than the extreme that they proposed. Um, and so likelihood that something gets passed, I think is fairly high. Likelihood that all of this gets passed, very low. And if it gets passed in 2021, it will not apply until at least 2022, if not 2023, just like the last law that was passed when Trump was president, it didn't apply until the next year. So I had a client die and they did not get the $11.8 million exemption because they died between the passage of the law and when it became effective. All right, so now we, we have some more specific questions. Again, if you have questions for our guests, please go ahead and put them in the chat box and the q and I'm doing my best to keep up with them. There are lots. Uh, but one of the questions that came out of the chat box was, what are the potential impacts 
um, of these proposals if you want to gift land to a nonprofit after death. So we're going to start with Katie on that one. Um, gifting if land you, to a nonprofit. If you give to a nonprofit, it's the same as a charitable trust. Um, and as far as I've seen, Paul can correct me, there are no changes to do donating to a charity. We get to donate to a charity inheritance tax free and estate tax free. And so if you go to a nonprofit, which is a 501c3, a charity, um, and a nonprofit is not, does not mean that the organization does not make money. It means that there's no shareholders profiting off of that. Um, it has to go back into the organization. But as far as I've seen, there is nothing that touches charitable trusts or nonprofits in this. It would go tax-free. But a farm cannot qualify as a nonprofit. And, and I would certainly agree with that. Uh, like I said, they're, they're, both Bernie's proposal and the STEP Act didn't have any changes on any transfer to a charity. It still remains exempt from estate taxes, exempt from this transfer tax. Um, you know, so I, I think that's still you know, the way it's going to be. So Paul, our, our next question from the chat, I'm going to give to you. And um, it, it came a while ago, so you'll have to infer. <laughs> um, okay. Isn't the proposal worse than losing the step up in basis? If it triggers tax at the time of the transfer, then it would discourage doing any planning until you are forced to do so at death. So do you want to comment on that? You know, remember, if, if we're talking small amounts of gift during lifetime, those are going to be taxed at a very low rate. Um, you know, you just have to decide or plan. It may be worth making, you know, 50 or $100,000 a gift during your lifetime. Now, another question I saw that came up, and it's very important to understand, we are never a proponent of giving more assets to your kids than what you need to live on. You know, you're not gifting your land if that's your retirement plan. You know, you're not gifting away assets if you need them to live on. We never are a proponent of that. I, I'm strongly, you know, if your kids end up having to pay a little bit of extra tax because you wanted to keep that land in your name for retirement income purposes, that's fine. You know, what we can deal with that. Um, but, you know, it, it, I, I, again, I still think instead of delaying, this may be a case where we want to accelerate gifts. Now, one thing I do need to add for, based on what Katie had mentioned about being retroactive, the STEP Act does indicate this transfer tax will be retroactive. It's retroactive to January 1. And I have a feeling that the Democrats really want it to be retroactive to January 1, because they know if they make it prospective, yeah, they'll make the estate tax effective as of January 1 of 2022 or January 1 of 2023. But I really think they want to make the transfer tax effective January 1 of 2021, because they know if we do the estate tax and we're going to drop it down, everybody's going to rush out and make gifts now. Well, they're going to say, you can go ahead and make the gifts, but we're going to have a transfer tax. We're going to tax you either a capital gains tax or a, a, some type of a gift tax. Uh, well, the gift tax wouldn't apply. That'll be in, in, in 2022. So that's, that's why I'm not really telling people rush out and make gifts right now. That is the wrong advice to give right now until we get a better idea as to how this plays out. I'm sort of like Katie. I don't think all of this is going to go through, but this is not a normal year. This is a pandemic-driven, progressive-driven, we're going to tax the wealthy 
And the wealthy right now is anybody over a million bucks. You have more than a million dollars of assets. Congress view or the progressives in Congress views that as being wealthy. And, and we know like in my area or in Nebraska, a quarter section of good ground in, in Nebraska is going to be well over a million dollars. You're looking at, you know, closer to $2 million. So, uh, and I don't think most farmers would think if I own a, a quarter section of land outright that I'm wealthy. Well, according to the progressives in Congress, yes, you are wealthy. Sorry, I got off on a, my soapbox there a little, little bit. But. I'm going to jump back just quick to the question of like gifting if they're retirement. So one strategy we've used is start getting rid of some of your assets and then you're paid as an employee of the farm. And that's how you keep your income while transferring the assets throughout life. Um, and then <clears throat> you do keep shares, you just become a minority shareholder and then yeah, you take it as a salary. So that is one tiny option of doing that. So let me go back to those two questions. And, so I think and, the, the, I definitely agree with that. So there are two questions I think you guys are addressing. The one is how do you address a parent's need for income from a property in contracts to the need for lifetime gifts to avoid estate tax? If I give it all away, where does my revenue come from? And so Katie, do you want to address that from your perspective as, as an attorney in regards to retaining some sort of income from the property at this point, given the current tax structure? Sure, so what I mentioned was we, you can start to gift whether it's shares in a corporation or shares in an LLC or land for transfer or however we're doing that. Sometimes we're transferring it as compensation for working. Granted, remember that's still taxed as ordinary income if whatever rate you're taxed at, a lot of times that's lower than what the estate tax would be. And then what we're doing is you can retain some interest. And so you're getting your LLC, you know, your, your interest off the ownership, but then you can be paid a salary or whatever off of that. And so sometimes that's what we're doing is, you know, matriarch, patriarch are no longer working, but we're going to pay them. One is paid on a 1099 as a consultant for the farm. One is paid just as whatever. I mean, you can, the government doesn't require, I mean, you can pay them as an employee. So then what you need to be careful with is talk to your CPA with their social security, things like that. But that's one thing that we have used is to pay them a salary while starting to transfer ownership so that that way they can maintain their income while getting rid of the assets. So I'm seeing a lot of very specific questions related to specific scenarios within the chat. And one thing I really want to encourage you is to get your estate planning team together. And yes, you need multiple people. You need an attorney and you need a CPA um, who, who understand your operation and understand agriculture as a whole. And they need to be in the room together to cuss and discuss these potential changes and your potential plan. The best thing you can do is come to them with specific transfer objectives to say, what do you want to happen to your assets? I want my daughter to be the farmer or be the rancher, whatever that is. And don't be married to a specific tool, a trust, a LLC, an entity, or whatever it may be. Um, be married to what you want to do with your farm or your ranch and let the professionals work with you on your very specific um, items in, in terms of the current culture with the tax law 
um, and, and the state that you're in. So that'd be my one big piece of advice is if you're sitting on this call and, and, you know, Paul and Katie are great, but they're not your CPA and your lawyer likely. So you need to get those two individuals at minimum, add a certified financial planner to that room as well, uh, an insurance agent um, to, to get this discussion pulled together and really have a plan in place. If you have not reviewed your estate plan in the last five years, now definitely is the time to do so and know that estate planning is not a one-off event. It is a journey that as these laws and as the, the environment you work within changes, we might have to modify and amend your estate plan to fit the current environment. And I know that can be frustrating because you feel like you've got it done, but we need to be constantly tweaking this as we move um, you know, throughout our life cycles. So that's my soapbox um, for the moment. So I really encourage you, encourage you to, to get that team together. Paul? Yeah, Jessica, I was gonna jump in. We didn't really address uh, the effect of these proposals on trust. A lot of farmers and Katie, I'm sure you take advantage of trust, but both the step back, what the step back says that if you put your assets, your farm assets into a trust, you're going to owe the transfer tax every 21 years. Now you said, well, I set up my trust back in 1970. They can't go after that. What they've said, any trust that was in effect before 2005, you're going to owe the transfer tax in beginning in 2026. So every 21 years, whatever the appreciated value of your trust is, you're going to have to pay a transfer tax on it. The other thing is if you have at least gross income of at least $20,000 or assets of at least a million dollars, you now have to file a balance sheet. You have to file an income statement when you file that trust return. And they're going to require you likely to value all those assets at fair market value every single year which is going to be very costly when you're dealing with farmland or other assets. Now over on the estate tax side, what Bernie's proposal, and I think Biden's proposal is the similar, that's the Senator that's head of the Senate Finance Committee. What they're saying, you can set up all these dynasty trusts you want. And what a dynasty trust does, it allows you to go ahead and get those assets out of your estate for multiple generations. And they're saying, yeah, you can do that, but we're going to tax you every 50 years. I think that proposal is going to go through. They do not like the idea that anybody can escape a state tax, you know, for 100, 200, 300 years. Um, and then there was a question dealing with SLATs, spousal limited access trusts, IDGETs, intentionally defective grantor trusts. All those trusts, if those proposals go through, are going to be worthless. They're going to be you're not going to get the income tax effect you want. You're not going to get the estate tax effect you want. Grantor retained annuity trust grants are going to be not worthless, but for most farmers, they're going to be worthless. So, so the ideas of using all these trusts to escape either income tax or estate tax, if these proposals go through, that's gone. Now, and life insurance add, trusts will still be around. Go ahead, Katie. I'll add dynasty trusts. We don't really have here in Nebraska. I know South Dakota has them. And so especially out here in Western Nebraska, we have a lot of people that are familiar, but we were just discussing on an attorney thread. Um, we haven't tried it, but the likelihood is low. We don't have the law to support it. And so just so you know, that's yeah. not really an issue. And no, this isn't my knee. Sorry. It's the baby. She is cranky. So she yeah. joined us. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, right. and again, even in Nebraska, you don't have dynasty trusts, but you could have a trust that easily could go on for 60 or 70 or 80 years. And under the step proposal, you're going to be paying a transfer tax three or four times before that trust ends. So, right, I, right. I, I, we just don't go 100 years, but right. yes. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, a couple of questions that we're going to pull from the chat. Um, and I think this is a great question. I love the person who sent this. How do you evaluate an attorney who specializes in agricultural estates? So what questions, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add to their question, and, and we'll ask it for CPAs as well. What questions should I be asking to a professional like you to know if, if you are the right attorney or CPA for me as it relates to agriculture? So I'm going to start with Paul on this one. Paul, how do we evaluate someone who specializes in agricultural estates? I, I think there's three or four things that you need to key in when you're discussing, um, you know, uh, discussing with a CPA as far as farm estate planning and so on. Uh, a, find out for them, <coughs> excuse me, how many farmers do you work with? How many farm estate plans have you ever been involved with? Um, you know, do you, uh, what type of professional CP do you attend related to farming? Uh, those would be some of the questions I would be asking. Also, I would ask for three or four references from them as to, okay, you worked with multiple farm families and you say you're successful. Give me two or three of those so I can at least interview them and find out, you know, are you really successful or not? Um, you know, th at least those would be some of the key questions I would be uh, leading with. Katie? So <clears throat> kind of the same, although you cannot ask an attorney for references because we cannot tell you who our current clients are, only our clients can. Um, word of mouth is somewhat helpful. What I would ask and what I've seen a lot of is, um, do they know and understand agriculture somewhat? Um, most attorneys in Nebraska do, but kind of do they, there are a lot of attorneys that have a set way they handle farm and ranch families in transitions. And that is great if that's what um, you want. But I would ask, do you kind of tailor this to the different farm and ranch families? What options do you propose for clients? Um, some are very successful in going straight to trust. Some aren't. I would ask just kind of talk. I mean, I've been interviewed a couple of times. What are my theories? What are my thoughts? Um, ask them what they've used as examples, things like that. You, I mean, ask your CPA for a good attorney when they're young, like I am. We don't necessarily have as many referrals, but I mean, C I work with a lot of CPAs, ask other people and just kind of, yeah, ask them what their strategies are, what their plans are. What I will tell you is asking them currently what they plan to do to fight the tax changes may not be a good question because some of us are like, uh, we don't want to go to tr transferring right away. We don't want to jump to any conclusions at this point. And so just, and if you like them, I guess, or like working with them is also somewhat helpful. And, and I should mention uh, our standards are similar. What Katie had mentioned, we can't voluntarily give you a reference. We can talk to our clients and ask if they want to be a reference and get that in writing. We just can't mention their names. Um, just, just to mention names. So here's a, another question related specifically to the proposals. 
if a farmer or rancher has put money into a 401k, do these dollars count towards uh, the dollar level for calculating taxes under these proposals? Do we know an answer to that question? Paul, you can answer. <laughs> okay, okay. I wasn't sure. Uh, I didn't hear the last part. Uh, I've had a little bit of a bad connection here. Uh, yes, uh, 401k is an asset just like anything else, including life insurance. You know, a lot of my clients, I'll talk to them, what's your net worth? They say, well, I'm only worth, you know, let's say $5 million as an example. And then I ask, how much life insurance you have? Well, if I pass away, that's another 5 million. Well, your estate value is not 5 million, it's 10 million. So all of your assets, annuities, um, you know, 401k, IRAs, those are all part of your estate. Now, a lot of these proposals go through, I think you're gonna start seeing more and more farmers. I had a discussion with a farmer yesterday on this. They may name a charity or a donor advised fund as the uh, person that's going to end up getting their IRA or their 401k just because, you know, if, if, they, if it has to go through both an estate tax and a transfer tax because it's income in respect of decedent, by the time you add up all those taxes under these new proposals, it could very easily be 80 or 90% of the value. And if you do want some money to go to charity, that's probably likely the best resource to go to charity. Or I'll piggyback on that. Spend your 401k to pay for your needs and cost of living and quit living off the farm's income. And that would save some of our problems. <laughs> I have a couple of farm clients who have a great 401k and we keep using the, we keep living off the farm income and it would, because they like to see, I mean, the 401k and they don't, you know, and so if we could spend that down, then it's not taxed. And then we get to see, keep some of the necessaries in the farm. That's what I am also encouraging people to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and speaking of IRAs, you know, last year, because of the pandemic, people didn't have to take out their RMD. I don't know how many clients I've seen this year, not necessarily all of mine, but returns I reviewed. If they'd taken out $20,000, it would have been completely tax-free. So because they didn't take out an RMD, they now are going to have an extra 20,000 at some point is going to be taxed. Whereas if they'd taken it out, you know, then they, and it would reduce their RMD. So it's still important, even if you don't have a lot of assets. And I think with most farmers in, in Nebraska, they're going to have assets. It's important to have those discussions with your tax advisor, your attorney, you know, especially on the tax side, at least annually before the end of the year, because that way we can help you make the right decisions. So there are lots of questions. Um, um, again, more on the uh, estate and succession planning side, not necessarily related to the proposals. I just put a resource in the chat, farm.unl.edu backslash succession. That's where our resources related to farm estate and transition planning are at. And you have probably been on our webinars with um, our estate um, educator, Alan Vanalek. So I would really encourage you if, if you're wanting to learn more about very specific items um, to look there on how to start the succession process. So there are a, a question, a couple of questions. Um, how do we speak out against these proposals? Um, again, if, if you do or don't agree with these proposals, um, always work through uh, your grassroots or your membership organizations like the Farm Bureau, um, the Cattlemen, uh, farmers Union, those kinds of, of organizations um, to 
uh, express your concerns or your support of any legislative action, whether that's state or federal. Um, and then the other question would be, and, and kind of wrapping up in some final thoughts is what can I do right now? So I'm gonna start with Katie on this one. Katie, what is your recommendations for what action can be taken right now? So I may get on my soapbox a little here. I think from the estate planning capital gains spending perspective, the best thing to do right now would be to get in and talk to your attorney. And the first conversation that I personally have, um, and I probably drive some CPAs nuts, is it's a question of what do you want to see happen and what's realistic. And in some of my plans, it is a complete tax plan where that's what we're trying to do is protect against paying taxes. In others, we want this operation to continue on and you can't make, you have to pick one or the other as the priority. The other can be very close second, but especially out in Western Nebraska where margins are very thin, um, we usually have to pick one or the other. So that's the question. Do you want this to continue to be an operating farm? How many of your kids or grandkids or whoever is going with it? If we have kids and grandkids, that's another question here is how do we are you transferring it to a non-relative because that's a whole different other issue. And so if you come in and we can kind of see where you are and where your ultimate goals are, because in my opinion, no matter what the estate tax is, no matter what capital gains tax is, what your goals are with your operation come number one. And so if you don't care, if you don't want it to continue on, then that's a different conversation than if you have two kids that are on farm and two kids that are off or just one kid that are on. So for me, the best thing you can do is come in. We can have a conversation about where you are, what you currently have, what you want to see with the operation. And then um, I am starting to do some reorganization of things just based on pure operational necessity. And then I'm kind of sitting, I know other attorneys will, are drafting trusts um, or are setting things up. I'm a little concerned with the transfer on the trust, like kind of the, the CPAs and I work, that I work closely with have kind of just decided to sit tight on a lot of these, waiting to see is all of it coming, is some of it coming? Because yeah, if the transfer is retroactive, then we don't, no point in transferring a bunch of stuff right now. If trusts are then taxed every however many years, that becomes an issue if they're not. so kind of just sitting on it but you know so a lot of these organizations we need an LLC formed or you know we got to start the ball rolling and so having a conversation the other thing I will tell you is you guys call your CPAs in about September October make appointments I had quite a few farmers who did not realize CFAT payments last year were taxes ordinary income they have $250,000 of ordinary income that their accountant did not know about until January. So call your CPA, don't call them in December. We like to take Christmas, and so do they. Call them in October, call them, like get, get in there and then kind of just get all your ducks in a row. Figure out what do you have for IRAs? What do you have for accounts? We can do a lot of the front end of estate planning without doing the estate plan now. That's my big soapbox on it, I guess. And more importantly, what do you want done? And what do you need to have done? So that's kind of the, the bigger questions. Paul, same question. So what can we do right now? I'm, I'm going to echo Katie almost 100%. I'm going to say it's wait and see. There's no reason to panic. There's no reason to go out. And uh, you, to some degree, the worst thing you might do now is put assets into a trust. Because you know if some of these proposals goes through, you may end up having a transfer tax owed now. 
and then your heirs are going to have a transfer tax owed in 21 years. Or as, you know, if you don't put it into trust, we can wait. You know, again, a lot of these proposals may happen now and five years from now, they're going to get watered down or unwound. I mean, we have already seen widen back off on some of the proposals for the corporate tax side. So these are proposals. Now they've been bandying about for the last five or 10 years. So I think some of it's going to happen, but don't panic. Uh, let's just wait and see, keep in touch with your CPA or, you know, keep in touch with our blog. I mean, I post on that three to five times a week, so we'll keep you updated. So and I, I saw a quick question of who do you go to first if you haven't started planning. What I would tell you is if you have an attorney or a CPA or someone you trust, start there. They may have referrals. Um, and if you like that person, use them. If you don't, uh, try to find someone else. But so most of you have a CPA because you turn in taxes. Go to your, if you like your CPA, go to them. If not, ask your buddy at the coffee shop who they use or things like that. And then just pick one. And then the attorney is usually a good starting point um, because we kind of spearhead the whole thing. But other than that, just pick whoever you use the most and are close with. Great. Well, thank you for joining us today. I'm sorry we weren't able to get to all of your questions, but I really do appreciate your participation within the chat. Be sure to check out farm.unl.edu for a recording not only of this webinar, but all of our past webinars and a schedule of our upcoming events. Next Thursday at noon, join us for an overview of carbon markets and carbon banks and how these may impact Nebraska producers. Just as a reminder, you will also be receiving a short survey in your email about today's webinar, and we would really appreciate your feedback and input on future sessions. So we are going to, um, we saw Paul's uh, um, uh, information, oh, and Katie just put hers in. So if you have any additional questions directly related um, to Katie or Paul, again, we encourage you to reach back out to their websites. You can also check out farm.unl.edu backslash, backslash succession um, to see the University of Nebraska's resources related to farm estate and transition planning. Thank you all um, for joining us today and we will see you next week. This has been a special Nebraska Farmcast presentation of Extension Farm and Ranch Management in the Department of Agricultural Economics at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. To view or listen to more archived webinars, register for upcoming sessions, and discover more timely news, analysis, decision tools, and publications to guide your decision-making, visit farm.unl.edu.